if you would, please turn in your Holy Word of God to the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians, verses 14 through 22 is what we will be looking at. We will this day sort of look at verses 14 and 15, sort of, and you'll see what I mean. While you're getting there, I will bring you up to date. Those of you who sent birthday cards to Bing Solomon have heaped up massive treasures in heaven. Um, Bing has taken a drastic turn for the worse. They don't give him much more than seven days as of Wednesday, last Wednesday. Um, His lung capacity has put himself to a point that he does not have enough breath to talk, but he has taken extraordinary joy from the birthday cards. Um, I do not believe that we will really ever really embrace it until we see him again in glory. So I would ask that you would continue to pray for the peace of Susie and Bing and Michael uh, as they prepare to say, see you later. And that Michael and Susie will be here with us. We'll continue to labor. Uh, and uh, that peace and, and uh, uh, help with uh, Bing's pain has been miraculous to say the least and that God would continue to have a very wonderful hand of mercy upon him at this time. Okay? If you would now follow with me as we read the word of the Lord verses 14 through 22 1 Corinthians chapter 10 Therefore my beloved flee from idolatry I speak As to wise men, you judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake in one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices shares in that altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that things with the Gentile sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than he, are we? Father, I ask that that you open our hearts to what is said through your word this day. Father... uh, I'm so sorry for uh, the things that I have taken lightly. 
and my Lord, my Savior. I thank you for the time you've given me in this, this study that I have had. And I pray, as I've prayed this week, that these precious souls that I knew that you would bring, Father, their hearts even now are set to hear from you. And the Father, their hearts are ready to cling to you. In Christ's precious name, amen. We have been dealing since chapter 8, verse 1, with Christian freedom. Christian freedom. As children of God, we are free in Christ. And we have a freedom. And we have been specific about it, and uh, we have looked at how that freedom, our freedom as a child of God, first and foremost, how does it affect others? And then we've looked at how it would affect us individually. And we come out of a text that is known to some, that no temptation has overtaken you, but that which is common to man. And God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape also. So that you will be able to endure it. Okay, so it's pretty interesting what he's been given to us. He comes out of that thought, is a, comes out of a thought that he concludes chapter 9 with. And that thought was, I buffet my body to make it my own, that I master my body, so that I am not disqualified in my usefulness to God. Okay, that I become useless for the things of God. Listen, we need to understand this is not dealing with salvation. This is dealing for what you're going to be doing in the body of Christ. What your testimony is. And he used Israel as an illustration. And we've looked at that in depth. And if you want to know more about that, then you need to understand that. Verse 14 starts out with that key word. Okay. Therefore. All right. The word in the original language is intensified. So Paul is almost screaming, therefore. It has to do with, let me explain this. Let me exclaim this. You need to pay attention in light of what I've said so far. You really, really, really need to hear this, is what Paul is saying. And it connects with what he's just said. What has he just said? That no temptation has... No testing of your metal has taken you except that that is common to man. Okay? And the Corinthians, and we knew this, we've looked at this in chapter 8, that the Corinthians said, an idol is nothing. And Paul affirmed it. An idol is nothing. Okay? Do you really believe that? We will see at the end of this message. Okay? This is a society, the Corinthians, that is engulfed in idols. Everything in their society is based on some idol, whether it was marriage, whether it was birth of a child, whether it was a relationship between a man and a woman. Do you know that the jobs had idols based for what they did? Their whole community of Corinth was based on idols of some type. But instead of getting close to those idols... Paul says in verse 14, flee. Run in the opposite direction. Freedom in Christ is what he's warning us of. We have this freedom. Let me give you what Dr. MacArthur defined 
Christian freedom as. All right? This is a quote from John MacArthur. Christian freedom is the freedom to do right for the first time in your life. Unquote. Cool definition. Okay? In verses 14 and 15, he says you need to understand that the force and the logic is true of what I've said. Because verse 15, he says, you're wise men, you judge it. You judge it. Okay? You are capable of seeing a clear argument. You're able to judge. He's saying, you weigh the evidence. Weigh the evidence. Okay? And, you know, I had this set up two weeks ago. I'm a little farther in my studies than you are. And I had the outline out and all the rest of it. And, and I was just cruising along. I had this, you see the four-point outline that you've got in front of you. And I had it all clear. And I was just going before God. And all of a sudden, a thought come to my mind. All right? And this is where the Lord took me, and this is what you get. So if you've got an outline, you will need to turn it over. And this would be the addendum to point one. This will have about nine points and about 14 sub-points to the nine points, but I will talk fast. Okay? Because I will cover this today. All right? We're not, we don't have hot food downstairs. It's cake. Okay? So you don't have to, to worry about it. It's, it's, the cake... Won't go bad. I'm not going to teach that long. Okay? Here's a thought that I, got, I came across. Idolatry. Okay? And here's what happened to me. Does that term bother you? No, now wait a minute. We'll, we're, we're at church now, and you know that I'm teaching on, so you all say. But let me ask you a question. When you hear the name Judas Iscariot, does that bother you? How about Adultery. How about sexual immorality? Murder? How about Lucifer? Does hell bother you? Demons? Do any of those terms weigh harder than the word idolatry? I would argue that every one of those terms in your truth of your heart weigh harder and heavier than the term idolatry. Why? I don't have a little Buddha statue. I don't have a little dream catcher thing. I don't have a little icon someplace in my home where I have little candles or incense around it uh, or anything like that. When I finish today, the Lord willing, you will understand that idolatry is the most serious and most damning and contaminating sin that exists on the planet Earth. Okay? Here's the reason that I will say that. Idolatry strikes directly at the character of God. And once you have adulterated the character of God, you lose the guidelines for any moral judgment whatsoever. Okay? Everything in your life from that point on becomes crooked. If you don't have a right perspective of who God is. And I guarantee you, even as small a group as it is in here this day, some of you have a wrong perspective on who God is. Okay? How important is idolatry? How many commandments are there? 
You know that the first three deal directly with idolatry? So when I look at that, I see the beginning of everything. If I don't have a true perspective of who God is, then I've lost the rest. And it's important because the Bible has got an amazing amount of stuff dealing with it. Okay? So if you've got your outline, what I need you to do is flip it over on the back, and I'll give you some uh, points and subpoints, maybe if I keep my numbers correct. Uh, and what I want to start with is idolatry and, a, and a, what I will call a broad definition. And then in this broadness of its definition, you will watch it literally start getting a little smaller, a little smaller, a little smaller. Okay? And it become a little more specific. Though I do not have time to cover all that my gracious Father has given me on idolatry. I will try to give you as much as I can. Here's a definition that is a combination of R.C. Sproul, Arthur Pink, um, Tozer, MacArthur, Spurgeon, and Stephen Olford. All right? So when I read this, it's sort of a collage. All right? You know how I am. I like to keep it simple. These guys had, uh, Arthur Pink had 14 pages of what idolatry was. And I thought, yeah, read that. Okay? Being that I usually only preach with 10 to 14 pages of notes. All right? Idolatry is slander on the character of God. Okay? Um, to use the English people's, idolatry is libel on God's character. It's slandering God and who He is. That's why I say this is the most fearful sin. Why? That is the heart of Satan. Did you know that? The heart of Satan is to slander God. But you know what's weirder than that? The system you exist in, that's its heart. That's its heart. So, idolatry would literally be at the heart of sin. And sin slanders God. An, idolat an idolatrous heart assumes that God is other than He is. Okay? So your first understanding is the wrong view of God. Who is God? Here's what Tozer said. I quote, a God begotten in the shadows of a fallen heart will quite naturally be no true likeness of the true God. Unquote. All right? Idolatry isn't... When we think about idolatry, now maybe you guys don't, but when I thought about idolatry, I think about somebody with a robe, a robe on, some kind of robe, bowing down to a rock or a bush or a statue or a totem pole or something. Okay? Kneeling before some... I don't know, image, okay? Um, you know, I've seen it with the holy tortilla. I've seen it with uh, the divine, what was it, cheeseburger bun thing that had the image of Mary burned on it and, and things like this. And you think it's stupid the tortilla sold for $18,000 on eBay. Okay, so you can sit there and tell me that that's goofy, but I'm sitting there thinking, why can't I find a tortilla like that? <laughs> Somebody give me 18 grand for a tortilla. I'm taking it. All right? 
we look at idolatry and we say, well, my, our society doesn't do that. We, you know, we're, we just don't do that. But any time that you assume God to be something that he is not, it is an unworthy view. It is an errant view of God. You've got to get a hold of that. All right. I can give you a good pattern of that. Um, most of you have studied this. Most of you have been through the book of Romans, either with my wife or with Tom. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, it says this. For even though they knew God, okay, they had an understanding that there is a God. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks. They became futile in their speculations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, professing to be wise, what happens? They become fools. In that man-made wisdom of what they believe, verse 23 says, and they exchanged the glory of incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, of birds, four-footed animals, and crawling things. Okay? Man has always wanted to make God in his own image. Okay? Man wants to bring God down and make him be like us. We want to turn God into what we are. Okay? Let me give you an illustration. What is the most popular name for the Son of God today? Jesus. It's Jesus. Okay? If you look at some of the Pentecostal, uh, the, what I call the experiential people, if you listen to them pray, if you listen to them sing, if you listen to them whatever they do, you will hear a repetition of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus this, Jesus that, Jesus this, Jesus that. Go listen to it. Um, some of you were uh, with us a few weeks ago when we were praying for Bing. There was a young man who was there. And what was one of the most common phrases stated in his prayer? Jesus, 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 Jesus. Listen to a lot of what I call the 7-Elevens today. Seven words, 11 times, okay, that we sing, okay? What is the name that you'll hear used? Jesus, 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 Jesus. And it almost goes to a chant, but that's not really what they're doing. What they're trying to do, and what is the emphasis behind this, is that Jesus is your buddy. Jesus is your pal. We are trying to make him human, Okay, now, I want you to remember this. Please hold on to this. All right? The second, the name of the second person in the Trinity is this. The Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Using Jesus isn't wrong. Okay? But important. Please grab this. We don't make him our homie. Okay? 
He is not your pal. He's not your bro. Okay? You, when you do that, you are dragging him out of heaven and having him here with you. All right? You know what you just did? You stepped into idolatry. Why? You made him what he ain't. Oh, but preacher, he was 100% man and he was 100% God. Not anymore. He is only now 100% God. And he ain't your buddy. He is the Lord Jesus the Christ. He is God in form that you and I can grasp. But he will make us our friends. Absolutely. But it also says he who abides in my word will be my friend. You can't just sit there and say Jesus, 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 Jesus. And him be your buddy. The only way you can be a buddy with Christ is you dying to self Him rising in you, and you are now one in the unity of the Godhead. We reduce Him like that. You no longer conceive of Him as He is, as He should be, and He becomes an idol. And it's an idol that you can grasp. I know a person one time told me, they had a picture of Jesus. You've, you've all seen the one that I'm talking about. And it says that, and had it in his place where he prayed. And he says, I have that picture there so that, you know, I can keep my focus on what you're doing. What'd you just do? You put him who has no sin, who is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and you just put him in your closet. <laughs> And now you are conceiving of him wrongly. I don't, I don't care if you got a picture or something that helps you remind it. I have a ring, a little ring on my finger has crosses on it, little crosses on there. Okay, these are not icons. I know that when I look at that, I need to be in prayer for my two kids who are in college. And that's why I wear that. So I remember to pray for those yahoos. Okay, let me give you another illustration of this. Of a wrong understanding of who God is. Okay, whenever in your life you fail to trust God, you stepped into idolatry. It's oh, pretty harsh. No, it's not. First John, he that believes not makes God a liar. Let me ask you a question. Is God a liar? Then that you have just said something about him that is not true because you don't trust And then you have slandered his character, and therefore you are in idolatry. Bummer, huh? Christian, you have a problem. Instead of praying about it, instead of trusting God for it, you become anxious, you worry, you start doubting. You literally will start doubting God in your mind, and you will have a thought that will cross there that says, God, I am not sure you can do what you claim. That is idolatry. It's blasphemous too, but it is idolatry. The only reason that I can blaspheme God is because of 
idolatry. You have made God less than He is. You have made Him unworthy. A wrong view of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is idolatry. He's not a magician. He does not bring testimony to Himself. He will always, 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 always bring testimony of Jesus Christ. A wrong view of the essence of Christ. I shared with you what that is. Yes, 2,000 years ago in the land of Israel, Jesus Christ, a man, 100% as human as you and I, and yet 100% as God walked on this planet. But He died a real physical death. And the resurrected Christ is not man. Because I don't want another one of these bodies at my resurrection. It is a body that has absolutely no capability of sin. And I will be like Him. So the Jesus Christ that you and I know this day is not 100% man. He's all God. Please understand that. So do I understand the essence of Christ? If I have a wrong understanding of the essence of Christ, it's idolatry. If I have a wrong understanding of the Father, okay? How many of here think that God is reactive? Okay. Well, you'd all say, oh, I don't believe that. That goes down that line of open theism. Okay, really? Then why would you not seek his will in your prayer so you can pray his will instead of throwing up petitions and hopefully that one of them will stick and he will react to it? Making God into something other than he is. So a Christian can be idolatrous, having either an inadequate theology. Basically, we don't know enough. And this is what drives me nuts in the church today. What are we teaching? I can tell you what we're teaching. I deal with the, the residue of it almost daily. If I have a wrong view of God, then I'm out busily helping God. I get myself into trouble. Then I've got to have counseling. I've got to have somebody help me because I've got myself into this. And I know that God was leading me there. But do you know God? Do you understand God? Do you grasp who He truly is? And the only way you're going to do that is under good, solid biblical exposition and bowing in fervent prayer to your own study of Scripture. Okay? So there are those who just don't know. I don't understand who God is. I don't have a grasp on who God is. Okay? But there are others who just decide to make Him something that He's not. Okay? And they, that takes any other form you want to. Here's one of, that He is not. I have been praying that I can get the car. Okay? And if God grants me this loan, then I'll know God wants me to have this car or house or whatever. Let me tell you something. God is not a loan officer. The reason that you will get the loan passed is because of your credit and your job history. 
And God has nothing to do with it. He could care less. And I wonder how many of us maybe should be walking anyway. Right? Anyway. Okay, so number one, a wrong view of who God is. Number two, worshiping the true God in a wrong way is idolatry. We looked at that in this 10th chapter. Um, They were laid low in a wilderness, verse 5 of 10 says. Why? Because of what they did. What did they do? We looked at Exodus 32, chapter chapter 32, verses 1 through 6, and we've seen that when... Moses went up on a mountaintop. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because I spent time on it a few weeks ago. He went up on a mountaintop to get the Ten Commandments, the law of the Lord. He came back down and Aaron and all the people had said, we got to have a God. We've got to do something to worship because this has just been so cool with what he did with Pharaoh and bringing us out of Egypt and all the rest of it. And it's it's kind of freaking us out with the cloud and the smoke and the lights and stuff on top of the mountain. So let's worship God so he isn't happy. And it says, make us an image of Elohim, a golden calf. Why? The nation of Israel wanted to what? Worship God. How? And what they believed he was. And they sacrificed. He says, you bring me your gold. And they said, absolutely. I'm going to give it to you. And they gave it to him. And what did Aaron do? He made him a golden calf. And he said when he had finished the calf, that tomorrow we will have a feast unto Jehovah. They were worshiping the right God. Wrong way. How much of this is going on today? I reserved, uh, received, received is what I'm trying to say, a survey from our convention. And our convention is classified as very conservative, isn't it? Sometimes. All right. And they were wanting to know uh, some questions and what I've seen in the, in the denomination and what I've seen in the convention and stuff like that. And they ask me some really dumb questions and I give them some really dumb answers. But at the bottom of it, it says, what is your position? Who are you? And what type of worship do you have? Contemporary, traditional, blended, or ultra-contemporary? Anybody see a problem with that? What did you just say? I worship the true God. My way. Okay. Worship the true God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Present yourself. How? Living sacrifice. How? Holy and pure. This is your spiritual act of... And it literally means worship. Prostileo. Prone worship. See, let me share with you something about worship. Okay, this is a little footnote. You can put it in there. Worship has the word worthy in it. And that's what it means. Something is worthy of my focus, my time, my attitude, my priority. Okay, I want you to remember that. Because there are many today, this very day, who will say that they are worshiping they will even say they are worshiping the true god they will say they are worshiping the god of the bible but it is idolatrous because it is done the wrong way why do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your 
mind. You know what renewing of your mind means? Out with the old, in with the new. That's what it means. And sometimes it's difficult for us to take the uh, garbage out. One of the things that I see, we were told, Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman in John's gospel, said that we worship up here in Samaria, and the Jews worship up at the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the time is coming when you will worship in spirit and in truth. And the time is now, he says. Okay? I see a lot of spirited worship. Okay? And I'm not even sure that most of the worship that you see going on today is extraordinarily spirited. They literally, I have seen some, where literally the spirit, their emotions just flat out go nuts. And they will call it worship. And it has no truth to it. That's idolatry. Spiritual emotion. I grew up, we called it hocus pocus. Stand up, sit down, do this, read this, recite this, chant this. Sit down, stand up. Maybe light some. Do the 7-Eleven. Seven words, 11 times. As many times as you can. Wear them out. Let them get hyperventilated. They'll get lightheaded and the Spirit of God will really get on them. Okay? But instead of worshiping God, what they've done is substituted form. Instead of God. They have mindless kind of worship. They don't even hear what they're saying. They don't even think about what they're doing. Listen, there's all kinds of ways to worship the true God. Most of them are wrong because there is no truth. A molten image to represent the true God. Let me give you some text on this. A whole bunch of text. You guys may just want to write these down because I have a lot of text to cover. And the Psalm... 106, 19 and 20 says this, speaking of Israel in the wilderness, they made a calf in Horeb and they worshiped a molten image. Okay. You know, did you know that God is not an ox? I just wanted to be clear about it in case, you know, all right. He's, he's not a cow. Okay. You know what they do when you worship in the wrong way? Do you know what you do? Verse 20 of Psalm 106 says, they exchanged their glory. Did you get that? Do you know what the glory of Israel is? God is their glory. And when they worship this calf, what did they do? They exchanged the glory. What did we look at in, in Romans 1? They exchanged the glory of the true God. Incorruptible God for what? Image of man. And for an image of an ox that eats grass? That's what the psalmist says. You exchange God for an animal that eats grass? Now we look at that today and we say, well, that's really cool. You know, them goofy Jews wandering around in the desert anyway. Okay, let me ask you a question. Who is your glory? And what have you exchanged your glory for? Jesus is not a man. Do you turn him into one? 
I see it today in the church all over the place. Worship God, mindless, no truth. You know what it, it is in that? Let me see if I can be specific about this. Okay, you will see a text that says, do not be led astray, I think it's First Peter, by sensual desires. Okay, what do you immediately hear that? What do you think of? Girls and boys, <laughs> right? Sensual desires. What I see today in the church is sensual worship. Okay, now I, I need to make sure that you understand. I'm not talking about sexual worship. What I'm talking about, when you do not worship God out of truth... For whatever reason, you will worship him on your senses. That is sensual worship. Okay? It is from my senses, what I feel. I felt his presence. Really? Everyone who felt his presence in the Bible were scared to death. (laughs) And they just freaked out. Okay, listen, Old Testament and New Testament. So when you try to make Jesus your bud, what'd you just do? I mean, John in Revelations, and I'll deal with that in a minute. He's seen an angel. What did he do? Pow! Hit the deck. <laughs> worship. Get up, bonehead. You don't worship me. And that was just an angel. It's pure experience. It has no foundation. Therefore, you see sexual immorality in the church. You see divorce in the church. You see the isms in the church, alcoholism, drugism, and all the isms that we, we get out there. Why? Because what is man doing? He is worshiping based on senses. Senses. Or, I see this, cold, dead, and formal. I call it the creed thing. Okay, well, we recite the Apostles' Creed and done it, done it all right. Basically, that is a form of Judaism that you've seen at the time of Christ. Sorry. Why? It's idolatry. It's idolatry. All right, so we've seen there is slanderous idolatry. There is the wrong way idolatry. Okay, but there is also worshiping of any image. Any image. Okay, there is a lot of scripture on this. I was... I was floored, to be honest with you. I was like, whoa. Um, There's a bunch of really well-known men who got really ticked off about this. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, uh, Daniel. I mean, the psalmist, uh, Joshua. (laughs) They were, you guys have a problem with this, huh? Um, In Isaiah chapter 44, discussing idols and their stupidity. I love this text because this is another one of a man like me, a very sarcastic person. Okay, and here's what he says. Okay, 9 and 10, he explains how these people build their idols. Okay, that's in 9 and 10 of 44. But in verse 15, he says this. Then it becomes something for a man to burn. So he takes one of them and he warms himself. And he also makes a fire to bake bread. He also makes a god and worships it. And he makes it a graven image, and he falls down before it. Half of it burns in the fire, and over this half he eats meat to, as he roasts a roast, and he is satisfied. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. Verse 17. But the rest of it he makes into a god. 
His graven image. He falls down before it and worship. And he also prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. Now, I got news for you. That there has got serious sarcasm in it. Because I basically what he's saying is, this is stupid. He says, you got the same idol that you think will deliver you that you're eating with. And I mean, you're cooking your food with it. Okay? Don't ever... Subs- I've got many more, but I don't want to spend that much time because I, got, I think i got nine points and then I'm going to do the subpoints. All right? And I'm only at three. All right? So don't ever substitute anything for God. Please. Please. Okay? This is the battle. I've been doing a little homework for going to Russia. I will have to deal with what is called the Russian Orthodox. Okay, you have Russian Orthodox, you have Greek Orthodox, and then you have the Roman Catholics. They're all basically the same, but they hate each other. Okay? And I couldn't figure out why. And then I found out why. Roman Catholicism loves idols, icons, little statue things all over the place. Greek and Russian Orthodox thinks they should all be broken. <laughs> okay? So, in case you're wondering, no images. All right. Fourthly, don't worship angels. The worship of angels is idolatry. The Bible, you know, the Bible is kind of cool. God was really smart about this. He only gives us the name of three. And it says that the, I, I, that the angelic host numbers as many as the stars. But he only gave us three names. Why? Because we're kind of idiots. All right. One of them we just rule out right off. Right. Lucifer. OK, we're well, just not going to jump up. And, let's go worship Lucifer. Okay, but we have two others. We have Michael and Gabriel. All right, and, and, and yet I see people who want to do this. Revelations I shared with you. John bowed down before an angel, and the angel said, Get up. You do not worship me. We both, the angel and John, worship the Lamb of God. All right, in Colossians 2.18, we are warned that false teaching will draw you to what? The worship of angels, angelic hosts. Okay, I remember a lady would come to me one day. We were sitting, had a garage sale down of our old location. And she was sitting there. And she kept looking at me. She scared me because just, you know, she was standing across the side. And, and she, you could tell that, God, I hope she don't come over here and talk to me. And I wasn't selling anything. And perhaps I should have been in that way. She wouldn't have bothered me. But she came over and she smiled at me real big. She says, can I speak to you for a second? And dummy me said, sure. Okay. And she says, do you know you're surrounded by angels? I looked around and there was my wife and. Cynthia and a few other people. And I said, yeah, I know that. She says, no, they're all around you. She says, I've never seen anybody with so many angels. And she says, would you like me to show you how to talk to them? And I said, no, I don't need to. And she says, but there's a great benefit. I said, no, I know their boss. I don't need to talk to the angels. Okay. And then and the people, you know, she went away thinking I was goofy and I returned the favor. Okay. So there's the worship of angels. But you know what? Fifthly, there's the worship of demons. Wow, Terry, that's goofy as the day is long. I never heard such crazy stuff or anything in my life. Really. Um, In the book of Revelations, chapter 9, verse 20, says this. Oops, wrong page. Verse 20. The rest of mankind who have not been killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons. Did you get that? 
This is that seven-year tribulation. God is already starting to deal with it. And he says, With the worker of their hands, so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver, of brass and stone, of wood, which can neither see, hear, nor walk. Okay? There's a time of tribulation where it grows with the worship of demons. Sixthly, the worshiping of dead men. Okay? <laughs> and the Psalm 106, verse 28 says this, they joined themselves to Baal Peor. Okay? Israel decided to embrace Baal worship. All right? And they ate sacrifices offered to the dead. Part of Baal worship. Who is doing this? The garters of the oracles of God are eating sacrifices offered to dead people. Dead people. Please let me tell you something. These are not rank amateurs who do not understand Scripture. Dead men. It's part of Baal worship. Israel did it. Did it. Do you know in uh, St. Peter's Basilica... In Rome, if you go in, it's, it's, <laughs> uh, if it wasn't so serious, it's hilarious. But there is a statue, statue of St. Peter as you enter into the Basilica, the, the Church of Peter. And one of the phenomenons that has happened is that on his toe, his toe is worn off. You know Why? People kissing it as they go by. I know for a fact that Peter ain't real happy about that. And I'm not talking about the statue. I'm talking about the real Peter. Why? What did they do? They're worshiping dead men. They worship dead men. Israel did it. Baal does it. Baal worship encourages you to go to the grave and monuments. You know, our society does it. Our society does it. Edgar Allan Poe, every year of his birthday, somebody's putting some bourbon or cognac in a rose. Been doing it for years. Nobody knows who's doing it. Uh, I know that they do it with Jim Morrison. He's buried in France. And they go over and they celebrate Jim Morrison. And, becomes a, and it's, a, it's a dead man. And, and here's the thing that's amazing about it. You and I were created for a reason. You were created to worship you have inherent in you, in your gene pool, in your chromosomes, your DNA is to worship. And guess what? I've never met a human being yet who doesn't. We worship all kinds of things. Okay. Seventhly, idolatry of the heart. Idolatry of the heart. You can look at your own heart in the light of Scripture this very moment. Okay. And I thought about this. I wrote this down as I was kind of cleaning up my notes for this morning's message. What if I asked each of you to take out a pencil and write down the idols that you struggle with? Do you have anyone here? Could you write something down that you struggle with? If you can't think of something that you struggle with that is an idol of your heart, ask your wife, your husband, or your children. I'm sure they'll enlighten you. Okay, where do you worship? Where do you bow down? Listen, you were created to worship. 
Guess what? You will and you're unrelenting in your worship. You will not stop. You love it. You eat it up. It is something that will possess you. It is something that will motivate you. It will control your attitudes. It will control your actions. It will control your thinking. It will control your quiet times. It will control everything about you because you want to, you desire, you are overwhelmingly wanting to worship. I started to make a list and I realized I don't own enough paper, nor will I ever, of the things we worship. Okay? I started out education, degree, science, technology, da 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 And then I decided, you know what? I can't go down this line because if I go start going down and start explaining all the things we worship, um, I can't live that long. So I summarized it into three groups. You today, modern man who understands... Okay, three things that are idols in your hearts today. Humanism, materialism, sex. The gods of modern man fall into those three. Humanism, materialism, sex. Okay, on humanism, this is what Billy Graham said, and I quote, In God we trust is on our currency. Me first is on our hearts, unquote. That's humanism. Humanism, I'd rather do it myself. I'd rather do it my way. I can handle it. It's my problem. I can solve my own mysteries. I can run my own world. That's humanism. That's an idol. That's self-sufficiency you think. And yet you have begun to worship. You have bowed to an idol. Did you realize that as I... I love history. And I hate to, hate to sometimes admit to that. But I do like history. But I've realized that in my life, I've never seen man really solve any problems. As I studied history, I've never seen man solve any problems. Okay? I remember um, right after I got out of high school, the big problem then was we were, the population. We're going to blow up the world with too many people. And I read this article here, and I was thinking about this. Here's how my th- mind thinks. And this, you probably not, you'll probably all walk out after here, I think. Uh, an article I was reading, it says, There's a woman having a baby every fourth of a second. Okay? Every fourth of a second, a woman is having a baby. All I can think is we need to find her and stop her. <laughs> I mean, you know. Um, how well are we doing with stopping population? We're not. How did we do with war? Remember the war to end all wars? So what we did, we called them police actions. Okay? Oh, God, I'm so glad we solved war. Okay? But I didn't realize we had so many redneck cops. (laughs) Do you see what I'm getting at? What have we solved? What treaty has ever stood? I mean, it used to be don't eat this because this will kill you, but now we what? You better eat that because if you don't eat that, it's going to kill you. I, I, I don't get it. I don't really understand it. Man has never solved anything, and yet our humanism, the idol of humanism, thinks that we can solve what? Right? Materialism. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. That ain't tough. When I grew up, the big thing was to have a carpeted kitchen floor. That's what everybody wanted. Guess what? Now they want our old floor. To have a good kitchen, you need a... Wooden kitchen floor. Why? I don't know. It used to be 
to really know you've arrived, you had a garage. I mean, you might have had a carport, and then you were something, but if you had a garage, you were really something. Then it was two-car garage. Now it's three-car garage, but you've got to have a place to park your motor home. What is that? Materialism. So I don't have to deal with that one much. The next one is sex. Gee, many crickets. All the religions that you see in the city of Corinth had that basis, regardless of what it was. Okay? That's uh, 50 A.D. Guess what? Song remains the same. Hasn't changed. All right? Um, but I, I want to show you a text, and I, I dealt with this in the past, but I want to deal with it one more time. The book of Ezekiel. See, it's Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, right? Yeah. Ezekiel chapter 14, and I want to share this with you because you're all going to be saying, well, you know, I'm all right, I can handle it. You know, I, I can. Remember what he said? Take heed, ye who think you can stand, lest you fall. Here's what he says, Ezekiel 14, beginning there. Some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down before me, and the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, that would be Ezekiel, these men have set up their idols in their hearts. Who? Who? These men. Do you know who the elders of Israel were? The spiritual leaders of the nation. Paul, saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, gave this warning. He called the elders together and he says, Guard yourselves, guard and shepherd the flock of Christ, for evil men will even from among you raise up savage wolves, not sparing the flock. From who? The spiritual leaders. He says they have set idols in their hearts. They had, didn't have images. They didn't have little statues all over the place. They didn't have gold and silver, but they had a heart. Look what he says here. <clears throat> Verse 3, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and have put right before their faces the stumbling block of their iniquity. Do you know what he just said? These men walking around, supposedly seeking me, my wisdom, can't see me because they've got something right in their view. What is it? An idol. Do you know that? Have you ever sought God? Have you ever sought His will? Have you ever been passionate about it? Have you ever wept for the loss of a soul? Have you ever wept for, Lord, just give me the privilege for just this moment to worship you and realize that nothing really happened? You know why? Every time I try to look around the thing, all I see is it. I mean, it might be my education. It can be your wife. It can be your children. It can be your job. It can be a car. It can be a promotion. It can be an increase. It can be... I think about you and me and Karen are in the same boat. Doing your taxes. That is not an idol, but it is definitely something that gets between me and my God. Okay, why? When you're trying to put all that garbage together, what are you thinking about? All right, but it gets right there, and that's what he says here. They put it right before their faces, the stumbling block of iniquity. Should I be consulted by them at all? He's saying, you are coming to me, God, who only spoke existence into being, and you're bringing your idol first. James says, you do not have because you ask amiss, and you ask only for your own Lust. 
Therefore speak to them and tell them, Thus says the Lord God, Any man in the house of Israel who sets up an idol in his heart puts right before his face the stumbling block of his iniquity and then comes to the prophet, and I, the Lord, will be brought to give him an answer in a matter of the view of the multitude of his idols? You really expect me to talk to you? You really expect something from me? I am too busy getting my education to think about God. I am too busy making money. I am too busy trying to improve my career. I'm too busy being somebody. I am too busy with activities. I have too much recreation. I have too much sport. I have too much stuff to seek God. And you have an idol that is between you and God. So let me ask you a question today. You sang a song. You sang two songs. You know what the focus of the two songs were? Your worship. Your worship. One of your verses says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. I shared with you guys when I was in Israel last year, um, I went up to the praying wall, the wailing wall, and you stick prayers in there. The Jews believe you stick a prayer, you write out a prayer, and you stick it in there. As long as it's stuck in that crack, it's offered up to God. This is a holy place. I was there at a high holy season of Perrin, uh, remembrance of, of Esther, uh, the book of Esther. And I mean, everybody was there. There was a guy who had, had one of those tear-down robes, and he was ripping it and yelling at old Elohim and, and all kind of weird stuff. And you see the soldiers would take their lunch break, and they'd put the phylactery on here and wrap it around their arm and they'd go forward and be praying with their rifle behind them and all the rest of them. Here I was, the Gentile. <laughs> and so I'm up there by the wall sitting there going like this and, and here's, here's your goofy pastor again. Curiosity and that stupid cat. Okay? And little notes all over in front of you. Prayer request. Reach up there, grab one out, pull it out, open it up and it says, New York Islanders win the Stanley Cup. What? <laughs> the most holy place in Judaism, and they want the Islanders to win the Stanley Cup? You should have prayed for a season. <laughs> okay? Why? What'd you just do? But you know what? Every one of us is guilty of this. What is between you and God? Okay? Eighthly, a thing of idolatry. Ephesians 5.5 5 says this. Interesting text. Phenomenal text, actually. If I can find it in my Bible. 5.5 5 says this. For this you know with certainty. Okay? Interesting statement. That no immoral okay, commits sexual immorality. Or impure person, or covetous man who is an idolater. Do you know coveting is idolatry? Worshipping material stuff. Temporal. Houses, cars, clothes, money. Bonds, stocks, 401ks, IRAs, whatever. Idol wanting what you don't have. Idolatry. 
Paul said, I have learned to be content with all things in whatever state I am in, whether with much or with little. Okay? Because you have this thing and it gets in front of you and God. Everything you start looking at, you start looking through your idol. Where does it start? It is in your heart. Here's another one. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, it's, it's interesting. I'll need to explain this one to you a little bit. But if Philippians chapter 3, it is the idol of lust. The idol of lust. And I'll show you how it works. Chapter 3, verses 18 and 19 says this. For many walk of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Okay? Whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on the things of the earth. That is a comprehensive statement that says lust is an idol. Why? Lust drives me for the things of the earth. Lust, he uses a King James translation. I wish Matt was up here, but finally he did take the nursery. It says here, whose God is their belly. Is their belly. And, you know, people say, well, it means their appetite, but the picture of their belly seems to work. Why? What's driving it? Lust. It's lust. Whether it is... I am striving for shame, for glory, and it is to my shame. What is that? The pride of life. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Just go through it. I mean, in our society today, food is an idol. Sex is an idol. TV is an idol. Movies can be an idol. It's, it's a strong desire sets up little gods all over the place. So what we have, that was number eight and nine. Nine was lust. Okay, what we have is wrong Wrong understanding of who God is. Wrong worship of the true God. Images, angels, demons, dead men. Our hearts, covetous, and lust. What do I do about it? 1 Corinthians 10, 14 says, flee. Why? I want you to think about this. I was teaching last Sunday night and I explained to the, the fullness of Christ is the church. Here's your options in your life today. Okay? You can be with the fellowship of the saints or you can be in the sewer. Okay? Paul says, if you take too long in the sewer, what happens? You'll start worshiping idols. Why? What will be the foremost influence on your life? Ask yourself that this day. Do I have something between my view of God and what He's doing And where did it come from? If we keep exposing ourselves to the sewer. To the influence of the world. The influence of the system. Paul's already said, take heed. You think you can stand. Okay, why? You know, our world is no different than the Corinthian world. Absolutely no difference whatsoever. Verse 15 of Corinthians 10 says, Judge, you're wise. You look at it. You weigh the evidence. Look around you. Idolatry. Do you know how it affects you? Because see, when I started this message out, I asked you, when you think about idolatry, but then you think about murder and rape and incest and adultery, uh, when you think about uh, hell, uh, Satan, uh, demons and stuff like that, is idolatry that bad? Idolatry is the step that takes you to those places. You don't get there without idolatry. How does it work? He's back to the Old Testament. I'll tell you what, Ezekiel and Isaiah really, and Jeremiah, really, really were ticked off about idolatry. 
And I do know that they were speaking for the Lord, i.e., God was really ticked off about the idolatry. So in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 7, it says this. I said to them, cast away each of you the detestable things of his eyes and do not defile yourself with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Okay, when you read that word defile, what do you think of? The word literally means pollute, i.e., Your pastor comes up. Outside there, all you have is the sewer. The gods of Egypt. The gods of golf. The gods of humanism. The gods of sports. The gods of women. The gods of men. The gods of money. The gods of sex. It's all out there. Go down the line. I mean, all I've heard all week, there's nothing happening in the world about a bunch of actors getting little stupid statues. And who's going to get it? I don't care who gets it. Sorry. We even have a show now. The American Idol. And we think it's great. Whatever the idol, it only will defile you. It will only pollute you. It will interrupt righteousness. And it will in any man. And yet God graciously forgives, but it's still a sin against God. All right? But I want you also to understand that your idol in your heart, wherever your idol is, if you have one today, it will also defile those who are around you. A person who worships at an idol tends to tear down everyone around them. Look at Israel. A very small group started with Baal worship. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 16. Is that one? No, verse 18, I'm sorry. Therefore, I poured out my wrath on them for the blood which they had shed on this land. Because they had defiled it. What was it? Their land, their place was defiled with their idols. Not only is it horrible on the individual, but it is horrible on all the people around them. All who are in touch with that person who is into idolatry will be touched. And you can't. You know, you know what's tragedy about idolatry? It can't help you. (laughs) I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's humanism. I don't care if it's materialism. I don't care if it's sex. I don't care if it's big statues. I don't care if it's little statues. I don't care if it's education. I don't care if it's a job. I don't care if it's relatives. I don't care if it's loved ones. I don't care if it's... It doesn't matter. That idol can do nothing but defile you. Isaiah chapter 46 46 verse 7 says this. That won't work. I'll try this one. 46 verse 7. Here's what your idols do. According to Isaiah. They lift it up on their shoulder and they carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It does not move from its place. Though one may cry to it, it cannot answer. It cannot deliver him from his distress. Isaiah had it figured out, didn't he? 
Ezekiel 44 says this. But the Levites, see 44 verse 10. But the Levites, you know who the Levites are? Those are the people who take the nation of Israel into the presence of God. I'm thinking there. Okay, anyway. But the Levites who went far from me when Israel went astray, who went astray from me after their idols shall bear the punishment for their iniquity. Do you see what the idol's going to do? It will only bring God's punishment upon you. In Isaiah 65. Oops. 65 beginning in verse 2. Says this, I will spread out my hands all day long to this rebellious people who walk in their ways, which is not good, following after what? Their own thoughts. Where's the idol? It's in my heart. I'm following after my thoughts. A people who continually provoke me to my face. Have you ever thought about that? You have an idol in your heart. You're going to go to the presence of God and you're pushing your idol in front. And he says, you provoke me. Offering sacrifices in the gardens and burning incenses on bricks who sit among graves. This is Baal worship. Graves and spend the night in secret places who eat swine's flesh. That'd be bacon. Okay. And are both of unclean meat is in a broth of unclean meat is in their pots who say, keep to yourself. Do not come near me for I am holier than you. Do you get that? You're putting the idol in the place of God. You're saying that the idol is holier than God. And it says this, and I think about this as a beautiful picture. These are smoke in my nostrils. Have you ever been around a campfire and you get the smoke in your face? What is your response? Joy, joy. Right? What do you want to do? It makes your eyes and you want to slap the fire. You take your idol up before God. All you're doing is throwing smoke in his face. Both their own iniquities and the iniquities of their fathers together, says the Lord, because these have burned incense on the mountains and scorned me in the hills. Therefore, I will measure their former work and their bosoms. That means that I'm going to get them right in the guts. Another aspect of this would come out of Isaiah 57. 57 <coughs> verses, uh, uh, where do I want to go? Five. Here's what your idols will do. Who inflame yourselves among the oaks, under the luxuriant tree, who slaughter the children in the ravines and under the clefts of the crags. Let me explain to you what's going on. He's saying that you, with your idols, it will become inflaming to you. It will set you on fire. It will become a passion to you. Here he's talking about the worship of Moloch. Moloch in, in uh, the spring had the fertility ritual festival for, for, for Moloch. You know how they celebrated that one? Newborn babies were stuck in leather bags. The tops were th- bound tight and they were thrown over cliffs and watched them bounce off the ravines. And they were doing it as unto God. Tell me it won't drive you nuts. That is not normal. That is insane. And it says your idols will only drive you insane. It's uncontrollable passion. Ah, 
Jeremiah chapter 50. Didn't realize there was so much about this, did you? A drought on her waters and they will be dried up for the land of idols. And they are mad over idols. He says, I'm going to cause the ground to dry up. He says, you ain't going to get no water no more. You don't need no more. Why? There's a defilement. Okay? That was Jeremiah 50, 38. What's God's attitude? Deuteronomy 7, 25. Makes a statement. We have a lot going on in the homosexual community here in Colorado and around our nation. And we Christians like to jump up and say, homosexuality is what? It's an abomination to God. Right? You know what 725 says? Idols are an abomination to God. Hmm. Interesting concept, huh? 16 of Deuteronomy, verse 22 says... I hate idols. That's what God says. Jeremiah 8 says the same. Revelations 14, Revelations 21, Revelations 22. No idolater will ever enter my presence, he says. Got it? Well, I want to give you one last thought. Because I showed where we are to flee. But I always pay attention to some of the last of, of a last man's words. Okay? And I want to give you the last words of Joshua. It comes out of the 23rd chapter of Joshua. In chapter, I'll start with 6. Okay, remember, chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians says, Israel is an example. Okay? Here's what he says. Joshua 23, 6, 7, and 8. Be very firm then to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you may not turn aside from it to the right or to the left so that you will not associate with these nations, these which remain among you, or mention the names of their gods or make anyone swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you are to cling to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. Got that? The word of the Lord and you cling. We have freedom. But our freedom is not to see how far we can go. See, when you separate from the body of people here, the saints, the laborers, the brothers and sisters, the beloved of God, do you know where you go? You go to the edge of the world's idolatry. And you're right on the edge. Right there. Instantaneously. And you might need to be careful that you don't fall. And there's times you may have to just flat out flee. But the key is, will I cling? Remember what 14 and 15, 1 Corinthians 10 says. You judge. You're wise. Okay. Paul gives us three reasons to flee idols. And we'll begin that next week. Father, I just thank you for your word. 
I thank you for the amazing things that you showed me. And, and Father, the, the heart of change you laid. And Father, may we who are gathered here now, may we cling. Father, may we hear your word. And Father, rejoice. May we hear and say, yes, Father, send me. May we understand it is you and you alone. Father, if we who are gathered here have anything in our heart that is between us and you, Father, today shatter it. Father, destroy it. Father, let us understand that it can't answer us. It cannot help us. It cannot benefit us. Lord, it will only defile us. It will drive us crazy. Father, we ask you to help us. We ask for your wisdom. We ask for your ways. We ask for hearts that seek your face. In Christ's precious name, amen.